So today we're wrapping up our sermon series in the book of Genesis. We're in chapter 33, looking at verses 1 through 20. As uh, we wrap up our journey with Jacob, we have been traveling with him for quite a while. As you read on in your Bible, you'll find there's a little bit more about Jacob. He's um, up with Jacob here. We start our Advent series. And this year our theme is this, the Advent of Glory. And we start off looking not just back when Jesus came to Bethlehem, but we're going to start off looking forward to his return. And Scripture says that we look forward to the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Then we're going to look at his coming in the flesh. And the Gospel of John says that we beheld his glory, the glory of the one and only. And of course, then there's our kids' Christmas program. We hope you're here for that. The week after that, we are going to look at uh, the the Christmas story, and what do the angels say? But glory to God in the highest, and the glory of worshiping Jesus Christ. And so the advent of glory we'll be looking at over the next several weeks. But this morning we're in Genesis 33, verses 1 through 20, so would you please stand in honor of God's word as it's read? Before I read, would you pray with me the prayer on the screen? Show me your ways, O Lord, teach me your paths, guide me in your truth, and teach me. For you are God my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. Amen. Jacob looked up, and there was Esau, coming with his 400 men. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and the two maidservants. He put the maidservants and their children in front, Leah and her children next, and Rachel and Joseph in the rear. He himself went on ahead and bowed down to the ground seven times as he approached his brother. But Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and kissed him, and they wept. Then Esau looked up and saw the women and children. Who are these with you, he asked. Jacob answered, they are the children God has graciously given your servant. Then the maidservants and their children approached and bowed down. Next, Leah and her children came and bowed down. Last of all came Joseph and Rachel. And they too bowed down. Esau asked, What do you mean by all these droves I met? To find favor in your eyes, my lord, he said. But Esau said, I already have plenty, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. No, please, said Jacob. If I have found favor in your eyes, accept this gift from me. For to see your face is like seeing the face of God, now that you have received me favorably. Please accept the present that was brought to you, for God has been gracious to me, and I have all I need. And because Jacob insisted, Esau accepted it. Then Esau said, let us be on our way. I'll accompany you. But Jacob said to him, my Lord knows that the children are tender and that I must care for the ewes and cows that are nursing their young. If they are driven hard just one day, all the animals will die. So let my Lord go on ahead of his servant while I move along slowly at the pace of the droves before me and that of the children until I come to my Lord and Seir. Esau said, then let me leave some of my men with you. But why do that, Jacob asked. Just let me find favor in the eyes of my Lord. So that day Esau started on his way back to Seir. Jacob, however, went to Succoth, where he built a place for himself and made shelters for his livestock. That is why the place is called Succoth. After Jacob came from Padam Aram, he arrived safely at the city of Shechem in Canaan and camped within sight of the city. For a hundred pieces of silver he bought from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, the plot of ground where he pitched his tent. There he set up an altar and called it El Elohe Israel. And amen. You may be seated. 
Do you know what's often the missing ingredient in our Thanksgiving feast? The missing ingredient, I think, all too often is grace. It's obviously not turkey. They sell millions of them this week, and it's not stuffing or cranberry salad or pumpkin pies, although I did go the other day and the one grocery store was out of those. But I think it's grace that's often missing from our Thanksgiving feast. Now, I'm not talking about what my grandma would say is grace, because for her, grace was the prayer you said before the meal. Before every meal, she'd say, now who's going to say grace? And that's what she called it, and so that meant we were going to pray. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the unmerited, the undeserved favor that sometimes needs to get lavished and poured out into our families and into our homes. The unmerited favor of God flowing through us and into our relatives. Oftentimes, I think grace is the missing ingredient. But you know what? Grace has often been the ingredient of thanksgiving. If we go back to that original thanksgiving, you think about the Mayflower coming over from Plymouth, England, leaving in 1620 with 102 passengers making a 66-day voyage, landing at Massachusetts, and there they landed in the fall. They stayed aboard the ship for the winter. During the trip and the time they waited during the winter aboard ship, over half of their travelers perished and died. When March rolled around in March, they decided to leave the ships and to move to the settlement they were building there by Plymouth Rock. By the way, any of you ever see Plymouth Rock? Several of you have seen it. It's not as big as you imagine, is it? Just, just a side note. I always thought it would be like this massive boulder, and it's not quite as big as I had pictured it to be. But, um, but it has a significant place, a big place in our history as a country. And there they began uh, the Plymouth Settlement. And so as they started, it was the grace of God that brought to them an Indian who could speak English. And the next day, introduced them to a a Native American called Squanto. And I think, what about the grace of God? Squanto had been captured by an earlier explorer, taken back to England, sold as a slave in England, during that time learned the English language, made his way back to America, knew English, and then when other English travelers, the pilgrims, landed on shore, he came with grace to show them how to farm how to plant corn, how to fish, how to survive in the new world. And you think, man, there's grace, grace flowing through Squanto to the pilgrims. So they learn to farm, and they farm, and the year goes well, and they have a harvest. And so their governor, William Bradford, decides to declare a day of feasting, a day of thanksgiving, and they invite the Native Americans to join them, including Chief Massasoit. And so they come in and join for three days of feasting. It's interesting. They said, I don't know if they had turkey for sure or not. It, w- it would seem reasonable that they did. But it sounds like they also probably ate seal that day. And they ate swan that day as part of their meal and lobster. Now, how many of you got that on the Thanksgiving docket for your menu this Thanksgiving? Lobster, seal, and swans. And that day began a 50-year alliance, one of the few in American history between settlers and Indians as a bright spot 
of God's grace. The grace of God at work through those people. You know, it was the grace of God that continued. As the years passed and eventually the American Revolution came on and, and the war was ended and our U.S. Constitution was in place, it was General George Washington who was elected the first president of the United States. And in 1789, he declared that there would be a day of thanksgiving and made a formal proclamation that the nation should give thanks. They should give thanks for the favorable outcome of the war. They should give thanks for the establishment of the U.S. Constitution to govern our nation. And you think about that, what they gave thanks for all those years, still that Constitution and the results of that war still affecting our lives and giving guidance to our nation still to this day. And he looked at that and said, that is the grace of God at work. It was years later, almost 100 years later, not quite, when another president declared that there would be an annual day of thanksgiving. Sure, other presidents had, they would make a proclamation of thanksgiving, but it became a national holiday under Abraham Lincoln. 1963, he declared thanksgiving the, four, the final Thursday of November to be Thanksgiving Day. And when he came and declared a Thanksgiving Day, he did it not so much just for the grace received, but he, they did it also as a prayer for God's greater grace to pour out on the nation. For America was in the middle of the Civil War, and Abraham Lincoln, he said this about that Thanksgiving Day, that very first national holiday that would now be repeated down to our times. He said that the people of the United States should ask God to commend to his care all those who have become widows, orphans, mourners, or sufferers, in the lamentable civil strife, and to heal the wounds of a nation. It was a thanksgiving day that called for the grace of God to come afresh into our country. You see, I think grace is maybe the most necessary ingredient of thanksgiving. This past week, I, I had the privilege, of, I, I looked forward to it and enjoyed doing it. Um, Keith Kateski is a he was a fellow pastor for years, and I knew him as a pastor, just, just as an acquaintance, and then he became a professor at Bethel College, and he sent me an email a week ago, and he said, John, he said, I've got a small homiletics, that's the technical term, it's a preaching class. He goes, I have a small preaching class, and he said, the class is small, so we didn't need as, time, as much time for them to actually do their sermons. He said, I'm trying to find a pastor who has free time to come in and talk about how they write their sermons. And he said, I've got a few slots, and I'm looking for different pastors to fill it. And so I said, well, I'd love to do that. So on Thursday, I got to go sit with a class for an hour and a half and talk about preaching. And as is a blessing in a Christian school, they started with a word of prayer before the class started. And one of the girls in the class prayed. And she prayed, and she thanked God that it was raining on Thursday and not snowing. So uh, that's the one way to look at the rainy days that come along. And uh, she thanked God that they had the chance to be in class and to learn about preaching. And then she said, and God, I pray for the upcoming holiday, for Thanksgiving. You know that it can be a, a tumultuous time for families to get together. And that it brings a lot of issues and struggles sometimes to our gatherings. And I just pray that you would help it. And I was sitting there, and I, I, I knew what I was working on for my sermon this week, and I thought, here is a 20, 21, or 22-year-old student 
who, as she looks forward to Thanksgiving, she is looking for grace to come into her family and to be a part of her Thanksgiving celebration. And isn't that what we see in this passage? Don't we see God's grace bringing together people who, as we've seen over the course of the sermons, at one time, one brother wanted to kill another. But by the grace of God, we see a happy reunion. We see two people coming together, and one deathly afraid, assuming that 400 men that are with him are an army coming to kill him, but the other one comes and wraps his arms around his brother and hugs his brother and kisses his brother, and they weep together that they're back together as siblings. It's grace. And isn't it grace that we read about earlier in the service when we heard the story of the prodigal son? Don't you see a similarity there when Jesus tells a story? In fact, most scholars think he must have had the story of Jacob and Esau in mind because there's a son who basically had told his father, when you take an inheritance before your father dies, you're saying you're as good as dead, dad. I don't care about you. And yet his son squanders all his wealth realizes he's got nothing, and he decides to go home. Maybe he can work as a servant. And his dad, when he sees him far off, goes running towards him and wraps his arms around him and hugs him, and he says, the son of mine that was dead is alive again. And it's the grace of God. And I have to think that how many families in America this Thanksgiving need that grace to flow in their homes. They need that far more than the turkey or the pumpkin pie. They need the grace of God. And so, today, God wants us to understand that the extraordinary grace can transform difficult reunions we see between Jacob and Esau, or maybe we could say difficult holidays, into wonderful Blessed celebrations. The grace of God can do that. It doesn't always do that. It's true. People can trample grace. People can refuse grace. But man, there's no hope for it apart from the extraordinary grace of God in our lives. So today, I want us to look at this passage and to realize that grace is all the way through it. In fact, you might even say it's one of the key words in there. Um, When you see the word favor, And there's some other words in there. They're all from the root word for grace in this passage. And so the word grace really is is all the way through this passage. But I want to look at what I'm going to call the flavors of grace. All right? When you think about food, I was thinking about this. You ever think about how many different flavors of potato chips there are? I mean, think how many you can come up with. First, there's just different styles of potato chips. There's regular potato chips. There's kettle chips, there are baked potato chips. So you have all those different styles. Between that, you have just the regular chip, or you can get ruffles that have ridges. You know, you can buy um, the, uh, and the name just left my mind, the ones in the tin cans so they don't break. Yeah, the Pringles, you, you can get that type of chip. And then all the different flavors. I mean, there's not just regular chips. Now there's chips with sea salt. There's chips with regular salt. I don't know if it's worth making a potato chip without any salt, but they probably do. And then there's chips that it's not just regular flavor. There's the basic ones. You know, there's sour cream um, chips. There's the cheddar cheese chips. There's barbecue chips. All of it, I mean, you can stand in the grocery store, and it's just 
a sea of chips. You think, how many different flavors are there? And when you read through this passage, what we're going to do is just kind of stand there, and we're going to look at this passage and just see, wow, look at all the different ways grace is stacked up in this passage. We're just going to know all of those ways that grace flows, and it's all grace bringing an extraordinary reunion together that Jacob never dreamed was possible. I think the first flavor of grace that you see here is prayer. I know, you're like, nobody's praying in this passage. What do you mean there's prayer? But you'll notice in this passage, there's a key verse that ties it to what went before. The story we saw last week where Jacob wrestles with God. There's a key verse in verse 10. If you look at verse 10, Jacob says, No, please, said Jacob, if I have found favor in your eyes, accept this gift from me. For to see your face is like seeing the, the face of God. Now, does that remind you of something from last week and the passage we looked at? The place where Jacob wrestles with God. What does he call the place? He calls it Peniel, right? Because as you look back at the passage last week in chapter 32, verse 30, says, Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. And now he sees his brother, and he says, seeing my brother is like seeing the face of God. And what Jacob is doing is he's saying, there's no way, brother, I could have seen your face if I hadn't first seen the face of God. There's no way this would have happened apart from a night with God and wrestling. And the way we wrestle, one way we wrestle with God is in prayer. And sometimes there's things, it's never going to happen, we're never going to see each other, I'm never going to see a smile on your face again unless God does a work between the two of us. And the way that we invite God to do that work is through prayer. If we want God's grace to flow at the Thanksgiving table, one thing we should be doing is praying for our family and for our relatives. Praying for the grace of God to be at work. Changing hearts, changing minds in ways that we have no control over, but God can be at work there. And so one of the first flavors of grace is prayer. Another flavor you'd see as you look at at all that happens in this passage is courage. Look at verses 1 through 3. It says, Jacob looked up and there was Esau coming with his 400 men. So he divided the children among them, Rachel and two maidservants. He put the maidservants and their children in front, Leah and her children next, Rachel and Joseph in the rear. He himself went on ahead. He went on ahead. That's interesting, isn't it? Do you remember, um, probably about two weeks ago as we were looking at the passage, he came up with this whole plan of I'm going to send these people and I'm going to send these people and they're going to have gifts and these people, they're going to have gifts. And he divided into two camps so that if one camp got destroyed, another camp would survive. And do you remember where he is as you imagine this long line of servants taking gifts to his brother Esau who he's afraid is going to come to kill him. Where is Jacob in the long line of people? He's at the back. He's at the back of the line. If you're a servant, sorry, tough to be you. You're one of the first to die. And he just works his way. And he's hiding out at the very back. Even the night he wrestles with God, he sends his own family and children over the Jabbok River. And there he is. He, he is at the back. But after he wrestles with God, 
Something's changed. And all of a sudden, yes, he lines them up again, but then he walks to the front and says, I have to meet. I have to meet my brother. And he has courage. You know, sometimes for God's grace to flow in our families and our gatherings, we have to have courage to address the things that sometimes nobody wants to bring up. Now, that doesn't mean to be rude or to be impolite, but sometimes there are problems between us and between a loved one, and we want to act like we can just sweep it under the rug without dealing with it. And we don't have the courage to just graciously, kindly, but sometimes to deal with the issues that everybody knows is there, but nobody wants to open their mouth. Maybe you've heard the phrase, the elephant in the room. Um, they say it actually started back in the 1800s, that phrase, um, about the elephant in the room. In fact, some people um, think it referred to a painting that was drawn, but it became popular in the 1950s, talking about the elephant in the room. And that's the idea that everybody's in a room talking about, talking about stuff and paying attention to stuff, and nobody wants to admit that inside that room there is an elephant. And it's like, how can you miss the elephant? And I just think sometimes when families get together, they have an elephant in the room. You know, they all get together, and they, they, they smile, they talk about stuff, and they talk about how good the turkey is, and the stuffing is, and they can't wait to eat pumpkin pie. All the while, there's some elephant. There's something big in the room. And sometimes, God needs somebody in the family, somebody who I think tends to be a peacemaker, that can just walk in, and, and maybe it's quietly and pull somebody off the side. But at some point, if there's an elephant in the room, it's to have the courage to say, I'm just going to gently address this. So that maybe God's grace can start to flow and to heal it. Because how many of you have known a family where you swept it under the rug and swept it under the rug, and it's like putting food in the refrigerator. In fact, I'll, I'll tell you a story. In fact, I, I, uh, I showed this one person in the church. I left it in the church fridge because I wanted somebody to believe me. Because somebody had put a loaf of bread in the bottom shelf of the door of the refrigerator down in Cary Hall. And one day I opened the fridge and I looked down. I'm like, what is this? I'm like, it's all blue. And I'm like, it is bread. I'm like, that is the grossest thing. And I thought, I should throw that out. And then I thought, no, I want to have the joy of showing somebody else this. And I use that as a teaching illustration. So I always tell people, don't store stuff in a refrigerator at church. It just grows. But that's what we do in our family sometimes. We got something going on, and what do we do? We're just like, well, we're just going to just store it off to the side. And, the, and rather than getting smaller, it just keeps growing and growing and getting nastier and yuckier. And it gets harder to deal with the longer it takes. And I just think... Finally, Jacob wrestled with God, and he had the courage now to go face his brother. He's like, I'll, I'll go into this. It's a dangerous, uncomfortable place, but I'll go there, and I pray it will work out well. And sometimes that's what we need in our families. We need courage so that God's grace can be at work. Another flavor of grace is humility. It's interesting, when he sees his brother in verse 3, he himself went on ahead. And then what? He bowed down to the ground seven times as he approached his brother. You see, the same thing happens with the maidservants. The maidservants, their children approached, bowed down. Leah, her children came, bowed down. Last of all, Joseph, Rachel, they too bowed down. And a lot of times we need humility. The goal isn't to have courage to win the battle in your family. The goal is to just have courage to let God's grace start to deal with whatever may be there. And 
And we need humility, though, when we do it. The goal isn't to win. And so, humility. Humility over Thanksgiving and Christmas. Where are you going to go for the holidays? How's it all going to work up? Which family are you going to see? How much time are you going to spend at this house and at that house? Oh, if only the holidays had more humility for families when they get together. And they try to sort out all the schedules. A little humility, a little bowing down and saying, you know what? I can, in humility, sacrifice my desires and wants for the sake of what other people want and desire. And of course, another flavor that we see is contentment. Isn't it interesting in verse 5, as you look at that, it says, Then Esau looked up and saw the women and children. Who are these with you? He asked. Jacob answered, they are the children God has graciously given your servant. They're the ones God's graciously given. In fact, Esau, or later in verse 11, he says, Jacob says to Esau, please accept the present that was brought to you, for God has been gracious. You see the word grace, gracious, graciously, gracious to me, and I have all I need. And because Jacob insisted, Esau accepted. Be gracious. Jacob realized in grace that he had all he needed. He sent on gifts up ahead because maybe he had reached the point of contentment, saying, God has provided for me, God will take care of me, and so I am content with what I have. Now, I don't know if this affects any of you like it does me, but one of the challenges I have in life is that a flaw in my character is I like to play the comparison game. And, and you wonder, is, is my car as nice as so-and-so's car? Is my house as nice as so-and-so's house? You know, is, and, and you play a comparison game. And the next thing you know, you live jealous of other people in your family because you're not content with what God has given you. And that can make the holidays tricky when you get together and, and there's a, a, a war to see who is the best, who has the most. And... Um, do you ever have illustrations, you just can't share them because they're just, they're family illustrations. You just got to keep some things private. And I could tell stories after stories, and um, they're on my side of the family. I wouldn't do my wife's side of the family, but uh, on my side of the family. And, and stories, and, and you just watch, and, and they're funny stories. We just watch as, as people, it's like, oh, they got this, now I got to get this, and they got this, so I need to get this. And you just see that happen in families, and you just wonder, man, if there was just contentment, and I realize I am that way. I'm a person who likes to play the comparison game. And yet, here Jacob comes and he says, you can have it. God's given me enough. I, I have enough. I don't need more. I've got enough. And I think what peace that would bring into families if they could have contentment within their hearts. One of the keys in this passage is you see the flavors of grace is restitution. Verse 11 is a key verse in the passage where Jacob says to Esau, please accept the present that was brought to you. For God has been gracious to me and I have all I need. And because Jacob insisted, Esau accepted. There's something here that um, I didn't catch it. You probably won't catch it. And praise God for commentaries that help us catch it. But it says, please accept the do you see the next word there? I don't know what your translation has. I know what the NIV has here. But verse 11, please accept the 
the present that was brought to you. For God has been gracious to me, and I have all I, and I have all I need. The present. That word is a change of words through the whole passage. That word is the same word that was used for the blessing that was stolen from the Father years earlier. Please accept the blessing. Do you hear what Jacob's doing? He says, accept the blessing. He comes to his brother Esau, and, and they, don't, they don't talk much about it, but he does enough to say, will you take this as a blessing? Because you know, and he doesn't say it verbally, but you know years ago that I pretended to be you and I went to dad and I stole the blessing from you. And the term is the same term here. Please accept the blessing that was brought to you. And he says, I know I stole it. And in a sense, he's coming now saying, I'm trying to return it. I've wronged you. I'm making restitution. And one of the great things about grace is that when we experience God's grace, it enables us then not only to go tell somebody we're sorry, but if we've wronged them, if we've taken something from them, it is to make restitution for it. It's what we see in the New Testament in the story of Zacchaeus, isn't it? When Zacchaeus has climbed up a sycamore fig tree, um, as the song says, for the Lord he wanted to see, and as Jesus passed by, he said, I'm going to your house today. And so Zacchaeus comes down and people are grumbling, how can this how can Jesus go eat with a tax collector, with a sinner? And Zacchaeus says, right here, right now, know this. I am refunding everybody I swindled. He made restitution for his wrong. And sometimes we've wronged people. We've wronged people in our own families. And it, we don't just need to say we're sorry. We need to make things right. I could think... Uh, every time I preach on this, I, I must, there must be steps that the Lord wants me to take care of. I'm like, it's so small and trivial. It doesn't matter. But I have, I have 15,000 baseball cards back at mom and dad's house. And um, they fit better in mom and dad's house than they would fit in my house. So I just leave them there. Uh, they're just in the cupboard, still sitting there the way I left them, you know, 30 years ago. And um, they're all in their boxes and in their sleeves. I think they're all still in order. And I've, I've got them there. Now, some of the baseball cards I have came from my brother, and I won't say I was the most honest person as a junior higher collecting baseball cards with a brother who's seven years younger than me. And so I would, I would often come to him and say, Greg, Greg, I just got some new cards. Look at this, a Detroit Tiger, because we grew up in Michigan, a Detroit Tiger. I was like, I bet you'd love to have, you know what, I will give you two Detroit Tigers for that Nolan Ryan baseball card. Who wants Nolan Ryan? He plays for the Houston Astros. Or Ricky Henderson, or Jose Canseco, or Mark McGuire, no matter who it is. Man, you Detroit Tigers. And Greg would go, yeah. Wait, here you go, man. So part of my collection, I really don't know which part, but part of my collection is swindled out of my seven-year younger brother. And restitution really means coming and saying, you know what? I took it wrongly, and now it's not just enough to say, man, Greg, yeah, I swindled you. Tough luck. You know, sorry I did that. It means returning what we've taken. Sometimes if we've taken something and it's cost someone more than that, then with interest on top of that. But making restitution, and we think that's part of the flavor of grace. It's grace, the grace of God that allows us to make restitution and to do that 
Another flavor is forgiveness. That particular word doesn't show up, but it must be in the heart of Esau to forgive. You'll notice verse 8 says, Esau asks, what do you mean by all these droves I met? And Jacob says, to find favor, in, favor by the word, way, root word grace, to find grace in your eyes, my Lord, he said. And in verse 10, it gets repeated, no, please, said Jacob, if I have found favor or grace in your eyes. Verse 15, Esau said, then let me leave some of my men with you. But why do that, Jacob asked in verse 15, just let me find favor, let me find grace. And I, I think ultimately, Jacob has to come to Esau and say, I'm just looking to find forgiveness. It's grace that is exhibited through forgiveness. Will you forgive me for how I've swindled and cheated you and welcome me back? Oh, how badly our families need forgiveness. Forgiveness undeserved, forgiveness unearned, just the unmerited favor of forgiveness. And then the last one, I tack this on, it's not super spiritual, but the last one I wrote is space. One of the last flavors of grace is space. You'll notice at the end, Esau and Jacob. Jacob sounds like good old Jacob. He's, he's about to deceive his brother again. And um, starting at verse 15, it says, Esau said, let me leave some of my men with you. And Jacob says, why do that? Jacob says, just let me find favor in your eyes, my Lord. And so that day, Esau started on his way back to Seir. Jacob, however, went to Succoth. And Jacob had told his brother, I'll meet you in Seir. And some, most commentators say, Jacob is still deceitful. He still isn't always on the up and up, um, even after he's wrestled with God. One commentator said this, this is just the ancient way of, of he can't be rude. He can't come to his brother and just say, you know what, I'm not going to go with you. He's got to be more tact, have a little more tact than that. And so he just says, you know, I need, I need to let the animals and move slowly with the animals and the children. And then when his brother says, well, I'll leave the men with you, he says, well, you don't need to leave men with me. It'll be okay. I'll just make, I'll, I'll make my way. And one commentator says that's just the ancient way of him telling Esau in a non-offensive way, brother, I'm so glad to see you. I'm glad you didn't kill me. You haven't killed my family. You haven't taken everything that I own. But we're not going to live necessarily side by side. And sometimes I think that's true. This side of heaven um, families sometimes just need space. They need a little space. And that's an okay thing. It doesn't mean we can't assume the grace of God's going to make us necessarily the best bosom buddies the next day. But by the grace of God, they welcome the one another and you see that they can live with one another, even if it has to be miles apart. And when their dad dies, they're both back together and they both work together to accept that. And so sometimes families need the grace of space. Grace is at work. But you know what? Extraordinary grace can transform difficult reunions or holidays into wonderful celebrations. Extraordinary grace can do that. And I know on my side of the family, there's areas that we need God's grace to do that. And I can't help but thinking if it's true in my own family, then it's probably true in so many families here that you need God's extravagant grace to do what you could never dream is possible. And you know what? God can do that. God can, in his grace, work in our families and bring about reconciliation that maybe we never thought could happen. 
I'll tell you about my great uncle. I have a great uncle, and Uncle Bob, I don't know very well. I should say, on my, it's my paternal grandmother, so my dad's mom. Um, it's her siblings. And so she had one brother. I never met him, never knew him. He died at age 36 of a heart attack. Makes me nervous sometimes to think about that because grandma didn't have a great heart either. But um, he died at age 36 of a heart attack. Then she had two other brothers. There's Uncle Bob and there's Uncle Harvey. Now, Uncle Harvey I knew. And man, we, every summer we go see Uncle Harvey. He lived up in West Branch, Michigan. And we would head up there. He had an A-frame house with a deck across the whole front of it. And then it's kind of like T-shaped. And then went straight out into a pond that was stocked with fish. He had so many fish in that pond. As a kid, we would love to go out there. He'd keep fish food. You could throw it in there and watch them swarm. If you wanted to catch a fish, all you had to do was take the fishing net, put it down into the water, throw the food on top, pick it up, and you had, I'm assuming, I don't know a lot about fish, but I'm going to assume they were trout. Freshwater fish? Trout? Yes? Yeah. He had a pipe in the ground, just fed the, fed the, fed the pond all day long, just kept it flowing, and then it flowed under the road to the next house. And uh, it just, it was stocked with fish. As a kid, I didn't ever catch fish, I went for frogs. I don't know why, but as a kid, I'd ask for two styrofoam cups, and I'd walk around the edge of the pond, and I'd take two cups, and I'd see a frog, and I'd catch it. I'd let it go afterwards. Mom didn't want him coming home in the car, but because um, it was an hour and a half drive, and she wasn't too excited about that. But I, we loved to go to Uncle Harv's. And if you were to ask me as a kid, who is Uncle Bob? I'd say, I don't know Uncle Bob. Just, I, I don't know who he is. I, I have no idea. If you were to ask me as, as a high school student, who's Uncle Bob? I'd say, I don't know Uncle Bob. Maybe I've heard his name. I don't know Uncle Bob. If you were to ask me as a college student, I'd say, I, I don't know. I didn't meet Uncle Bob until after I was married, years later. And I've only met him a couple times. And I don't know the details. That's between Uncle Bob and my grandmother who's uh, gone home to be with the Lord. I don't know what flavors of grace needed to take place. All I know is this, is that for over 20 years, no one had contact with Uncle Bob. And Uncle Bob had no contact with anyone here. And, and we don't, I, I don't know why. I don't need to know why. But what I know is this, is that as the years passed, something happened, and the grace came to, came to work in the family, and that Uncle Bob, all of a sudden, he was there. He'd come visit every single summer. He'd see mom and dad. Mom, I, I'd be in Mississippi, and mom and dad say, Uncle Bob's coming to visit. I'm like, I don't even know who Uncle Bob is. And, and we moved to Ohio, and they're like, oh, Uncle Bob's coming to visit. I'm like, who is this? I have no idea. And Uncle Bob would go and visit every summer, go see grandma and grandpa. After my grandpa passed away, he'd go see my grandma. I remember one of the last times he went up, sat in the nursing home, and fed my grandma in the nursing home. But there was over 20 years, never a Thanksgiving dinner together. Over 20 years, never a Christmas card sent. Over 20 years, no phone call. And now they make special trips just to see the family and to be with them. There's even the possibility, I've been told, that when Uncle Bob passes away, he'll ask me to drive to Ohio and do the funeral. And I just think, man, if that can happen for Uncle Bob, could God's grace flow into our families and do what we never dreamed could happen? And wouldn't that be the greatest thanksgiving? To pray for the grace of God to be 
to work through us. And I think the challenge of the passage is this. When we see Jacob and we see Esau, the challenge is this, that in our families, in this broken world, we are God's agents of grace. We are the ones called to forgive. We're the ones who are going to demonstrate the humility. We're the ones who will have the courage maybe to address the issues that need addressing. We're the ones who will make restitution. We're the ones who will extend forgiveness even when it's not deserved and we've really been wronged and we're ticked off and we're hurt. But because of the grace of God in us, it can flow through us into our families. And so this Thanksgiving, as you eat turkey and pumpkin pie and hopefully extra helpings of stuffing and all the other stuff that goes with it, and you enjoy it and you're with family, you choose to be God's agent of grace. May we, the people of Gospel Center, be God's agents of grace. Amen? Amen. Will you bow your heads with me? Father, I thank you for Thanksgiving. I thank you, I thank you for how blessed I am in my family and the joys I have. And yet, Lord, I still wrestle with some extended family, and I just wonder, how can I be your agent of grace? And I just pray I'd be that, Lord, an agent of grace in our family. And I pray that for my brothers and sisters in Christ. May they be your agents of grace. And Lord, I pray that there'll be reconciliation. I pray that there will be forgiveness. I pray, Lord, that there will be hugs and kisses and tears shed and parties together because the grace of God has brought reconciliation. And Lord, may that come through us this Thanksgiving. Lord, I look forward to what you're going to do. And I look forward to the fact that you're able to do it. Praise be to your holy name. Bless this Thanksgiving, we pray. And bless it not just with turkey, but with grace. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said... Amen. Well, this morning, brothers and sisters,